you, Chris, for, for reading. It's a pretty long reading. Uh, and, and the big idea that kind of comes through in that passage that Chris read for us is, is the idea of ownership, ownership, true ownership. So I thought, so I'd just kind of kick off with a question, and that is, think of all the things that you have in this life, okay? Just all the stuff that you've got, your money, your clothes, your car, your home, you know, your body, uh, your life. All the things that you have, who owns it all? Who owns it? Do you own it? Or does God own it? Because you see, your answer to that question, and it's a simple question but a profound one, because your answer to the question will actually determine the way that you live and handle all of these things that you have. Or maybe to put it a better way, the way that you handle and all the things you have and the way you live actually answers who you think owns it all. So today's passage, as I said, is essentially about ownership true ownership. It's about the story of our world and about the ongoing struggle of humanity against God over ownership. Now, there's three sections in this passage Chris read. We're just going to focus on the last two, but before we do, I want to set, a, uh, set the scene with a little bit of context. So last week we saw that Jesus has been, you know, we've been working through Luke's gospel. Jesus has been setting out resolutely to, to, to Jerusalem. And last week we saw that Jesus finally enters Jerusalem. Okay, he comes into the city on a donkey. He's hailed uh, as as king by the crowds. He then goes into the temple. He clears the temple of those that are selling there. And now he's in the temple every day. And he's teaching with authority. He's proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God, his kingdom, is at hand. And so in the first part of this reading that we, that we heard, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders, they're annoyed. They're annoyed that Jesus claims to be the king, that he's claiming to be the owner. And so they come to Jesus in the temple and acting as if they own the place, you know, as if it's their temple. They say to Jesus, what authority do you have here? Jesus responds to their question because they're trying to stump him. Jesus responds to their question by stumping them with a question that they're just too, too scared to answer. And so there's no real need for Jesus to answer their question. But he does go on to tell them one last parable. We've heard a bunch of parables Jesus has told. He tells them one last parable. And in this parable, he kind of answers their question anyway. Let's take a look. It's the second part of this passage from verse 9. Crack open your Bibles if you, if you could, and we'll, just, and we'll have a good look at this together. From verse 9, Luke 20. He told them this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and then went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat the servant and sent him away empty-handed. So he sent another servant. But that one they also beat and they treat shamefully and they sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third and they wounded him and they threw him out. Now this story, it's kind of an echo of Isaiah 5 where the relationship between the owner and the vineyard and his tenants, it represents the relationship between God and everything that God owns. Okay, where the vineyard is actually God's people. Okay, the Old Testament, Israel who God created and planted and who God expected fruit from, but he didn't get it. Who God then sent servants, the prophets to, again and again and again, to remind them what they owed him, 
but who in response treated God's prophets like shamefully again and again and again. But here's the thing, the vineyard and its tenants, they don't just refer to Israel in the Old Testament. So we don't just read this again, it's about them. Because Jesus is describing the entire world here. And as I flagged at the start, the question that this parable puts to us is who owns the world? Who owns everything and everyone? Who owns what we have? Do we? Or does God? Now, the Bible is really super clear in its answer. You know, there's the creator, the one who created everything out of nothing. God's the owner of everyone and everything. That, you know, that where you live, that uh, where you work, that uh, what you wear, what you eat, what you spend, uh, your abilities, your body, your mind, your very life, everything, it all belongs to God. The Bible also makes clear, and this is super important for us as well, that as tenants in God's creation, which we are, as we're tenants, our job is to cultivate God's vineyard. Okay, our job is to be fruitful. And our job is to pay rent, giving to God what is God's. And what do we owe God? Well, we owe Him all the praise and all the, the glory and all the honour. But, you see, that's not our answer often, is it? You know, uh, Because as fallen humans, all of us, we don't really like the, the idea of God being the owner of, of all our stuff. We prefer to be the owner ourselves. And so what do we do then? Well, we often live and act in, in a way that just screams, It's mine! It's mine! It's my house! It's my possessions! My money, my body, my life, it's mine and I'll do with it as I please. And what do we do? We, we reject God's messengers that he sends us to remind us of who really owns it and we reject their message because as tenants we want to be the owners. And so let's get back to the parable. Verse 13. Then the owner of the vineyard said, and remember what's happened here already, the three servants beaten, thrown out. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? What shall I do? And I wonder if you thought about it, what would you do? You know, you're the owner, you've got these tenants. I reckon I would use every means, every means available to have these wicked tenants evicted. Quickly, swiftly, once and for all. That's what I'd do. But what does the owner representing God do here? This is what he does. He says this. He says, I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. My son, whom I love. Does that remind you of anyone? It's exactly the way God the Father spoke about Jesus, God the Son, at his baptism and at his transfiguration. And it's exactly what we celebrate at Christmas time. Exactly, that God would ever so graciously send his only son whom he loves to his wicked tenants into his vineyard. What do the tenants do though to this son whom he loves? Well, from verse 14, when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. 
This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. And so they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. And isn't that exactly what happened in human history? That God sent his only son, whom he loves, into his vineyard. But the tenants, what did they do? They killed him by having him crucified on a Roman cross. Who were the tenants? And it's easy for us, I think, to read the text and say, ah, oh, yeah, it's the, it's, the, it's the Israelites, it's the Jewish leaders here. It's, you know, they, it's the ones who called out in the crowd, crucify him. Or for us to think, no, no, it's, it's, it's just the, those Romans that kind of put him on that cross. Who were the tenants that did this? Yes, them, but not only them. It was us. It was all of us. Because, you know, although it happened 2,000 years ago, although it wasn't our hands that physically drove the nails through Jesus' hands and feet, we're all tenants in God's vineyard. And we all too seek, like the tenants in the parables, all too often to, to want to be the owners ourselves. And so with that in mind, let's look at what Jesus asks about such tenants, including us, because in verse 15 he asks this, he says, What then will the owner do, or the owner of the vineyard do to them after all this? And again, I just want to ask the question, what would you do? You know, if someone year after year after year has wronged you, if, you know, after renting your property to, to someone, they just refuse, flatly refuse to pay you what they owe you. They just mistreat and beat anyone that you send to talk it through. And that if after finally, finally you send your only beloved son to them to try to talk it through and work it out and help them, they murder him. What would you do? What would you do to those tenants? Well, in the parable, here's what the owner of the vineyard is going to do to them. Verse 16. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now I know that, that hell is a very unpopular topic, you know, and that a lot of people just don't like to hear about hell. Jesus spoke about it quite a bit. But it's unpopular in our culture. But, you know, I wonder if you can see how hell really is just the obvious end point if you're a tenant like this. I mean, you rebel against God again and again. You repeatedly oppose messages that he sends and then you murder his son. How's hell a surprise ending? How could you possibly argue with the justice in that? When I was a lawyer, I was only young, like 24, and I didn't know anything. And, and I'm thrown into these situations in court representing all these different people and all these crazy crimes and when I, after, after kind of getting some experience with, with it, when I saw people just come back again and again and again and again and again to court, like just again and again, repeat offenders, they just kept coming back to court for, for crime after crime after crime. If someone is guilty again and again and again and again, guess what? Eventually they go to jail. 
And, you know, they don't want to go. But here's the thing. They know, they know every single one that I represented. They know that eventually that's where they're heading. They know. The people in Jesus' audience, though, you know, the people that Jesus is speaking to here, they were in complete denial. Complete denial. Because look at what the text says. When the people heard this, okay, verse six, what, what Jesus says at the start of verse 16, when the people heard this, they said, may this never be. May this never be. You see, they didn't care that they had rejected God's ownership. They didn't care that they had mistreated God's servants and murdered his son. They didn't care about that. All they cared about was that according to Jesus here, no longer were they going to be able to live like the owners in God's vineyards, as if they owned the place. All they cared about was that one day they're going to get evicted. And so, because that's their mindset, instead of being cut to the heart and repenting before God, what do they do? Verse 19, they look for a way to arrest Jesus. They send spies, you know, to try to question him and try to trap him. And, and that brings us to the third part of our reading, where in verse 22, the spies that they send, they say this to Jesus. Look at verse 22. They say, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar... Or not. Now, to them, right, this tax to Caesar, it, 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 it kind of had something to do with ownership. Because to them, it kind of signified that they were under Roman ownership and they hated that. They hated it. And they thought that if they come to Jesus with this question about, you know, this, this Roman tax, this Roman ownership kind of question, that it would stump him. But again, Jesus answers masterfully because... His answer confirms that, yes, it actually is all about ownership. Just not the way that you guys think. Because in verse 24 he says, Show me a denarius, okay? One of these coins. Whose portrait and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. Jesus said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. You see what he's saying? He's saying it's all a matter of ownership. Yet, sure, give the coins that bear Caesar's image back to Caesar. Do that. But give yourselves. Give yourself back to God. You've been made in his image. Give him what is rightfully his. The God who owns everyone, including Caesar. The God who owns everything, including Caesar's coins. He's saying it is all a matter of true ownership. Do you see? Now, before we finish uh, today, I want us to turn back to verses 17, 18 and have a look at that and just kind of drill in there a little bit. Because after telling, Jesus the, the uh, sorry, after telling them the parable, Jesus, verse 17, look at this bit. Jesus looked directly at them. And I, kind of, I think we should kind of sit up and take note when, he, when it says that. He looked directly at them. And he asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written... The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or cornerstone. He's quoting from Psalm 118. And then he says, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, you know, when we read this, it's easy to kind of gloss over it, I think. But it's really important to take note of things like this. What's it about? 
Well, it's that although, although they and we have tried to replace God as the owner, and, and although we've tried to build our lives on and around ourselves as owners, although we've, they and we have rejected God's Son, you know, and, and humanity gave Jesus the lowest of all low places, hanging him on a Roman cross, God, the true owner, through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, through Jesus' ascension back to heaven, God has exalted Jesus to the very highest place. You see? Humanity gave him the lowest place. God has given him the highest place. And everything that God now does, everything God now does, is built on and around Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. The cornerstone. And so when we try to replace God and live lives as if we're the true owners, what are we doing? We're actually rejecting the very cornerstone of all of God's plans and purposes. We're living like tenants in the parable. But when we accept that God is God, that God is the creator, that God is the owner of everyone and everything... And that we are God's tenants, ones who owe him what is rightly his, including ourselves. Jesus becomes our cornerstone too. He becomes our cornerstone too. And you see, that's when we can build our lives on him, on the rock upon whom we can find forgiveness for every sin. The one upon whom we can build new lives that can bear lasting fruit for his praise and for his great glory. And so I just want to say, if, if there's anyone in this building today who's not a Christian, if you are here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet building your life on that cornerstone of Jesus Christ, I just want to say, you know what, you've got three things, three simple, very simple, but very vital steps that you need to do, that you need to take before God. And it's really as simple as ABC, it really is. A, you've got to admit Admit that you've been a bad tenant. A tenant who has rejected God's ownership over you, who has ignored God's messengers to you, who has refused Jesus' salvation of you. Admit that. Secondly, you just need to believe. Believe that Jesus did die for your sins. That God did raise Jesus from the dead. And that Jesus is now the forever exalted King. Admit, believe, and then see, commit. Commit to trusting Jesus, his death in your place for your sin. And commit to building your life on him as the living cornerstone and king. It's that simple, it really is. It's what I did in 1995 and it's transformed and radically changed my life ever since. And I can't wait for the journey God's taking, about to take us on. But ultimately, where, where are we heading? We're heading to heaven. And it's all because of Jesus and what he has done for us. If you're here today, though, and, and you're already a Christian, and, you know, you've already taken those three easy steps, then I just want to encourage you to, to examine yourself. Really look at your life carefully and ask yourself, are there areas of my life where Jesus is not my cornerstone? Are there areas where I'm still trying to be 
like God the owner. You know, where I'm still kind of saying, it's my house, it's, it's my money, it's my time, it's my body, it's my life, I'll do what I like. And brothers and sisters, if, if there are areas like that, I'm sure for all of us there are different areas like that in our lives, I want to say, instead of just trying to squeeze Jesus in, somehow into those areas, you know, into your budget or into your time or your work or your family or your life somehow. Maybe what you've actually got to do, instead of trying to squeeze Jesus in, maybe you've got to go back and reassemble those areas of your life, you know? With God's help, rebuild those areas of your life. Because, you see, just like any other building project, I'm not a great builder, but yesterday my dad, William, and myself were out at Kellyville. We took the cubby. This big cubby which we built for our kids and it's the fourth place we've had it and it's a big job to build it but we were out there and we were kind of laying and, and we, I thought we'd be able to build the whole cubby on, in one morning and I, and, um, but it took us that long to work out the foundation. My dad's laughing. We had a bit of an argument but to get that first stone in place, to get that first stone right, it took us ages but it was worth the time and the, and, the, and the struggle and the effort because to get that first stone right is everything. You see, just like with any other building project, we have got to build our lives on the right foundation. Every aspect of our lives. Where that first corner, you know, that very first angle, that very first stone, it has to be straight. It has to be solid. It has to be able to bear the weight of all that life and death will put on it. And there is only one stone that can, that can bear that weight. I'm on the last page. You know, I think for many Christians... Maybe many of the problems that we have in life I think really stem from the, from the fact that we're not building those parts of our lives on Jesus. That he's not the cornerstone of those things and areas of life. And so I just want to leave you with this. Let's each of us take an honest, a really hard, good, long, honest look at ourselves and when necessary, reassemble. Make Jesus and devotion to him our cornerstone. Build everything, our home, our marriage, our family, our career, our schedule, our budget, our relationships, our life, and our death on Christ alone, the cornerstone, so that we can be fruitful tenants of God and by his enabling power live and bear fruit in his vineyard for his eternal praise and glory. Amen.